You're listening to the Joyful Warrior Podcast with yours truly, Tiffany Justice. Join us as we talk about the issues that are impacting you and your family in America today. Let's get started. Hey, Joyful Warriors, Tiffany Justice here, and today I am joined by Lisa Logan of Utah Parents United, and Utah Parents United um, is is in the same vein of work, in the same line of work as Moms for Liberty, um, helping to empower parents to advocate for their parental rights, and today we are joined by Lisa Logan, who is a member, and Lisa has done a deep dive into something called social-emotional learning, and I am sure many of you have been hearing these words, they've kind of become buzzwords, and they sound sound really nice, right? We want our kids to be social. We want our kids to be in touch with their emotions. But when you put social and emotional and learning together in a public school classroom, what we are finding out and what Lisa has uncovered is that it is not always in the best interest of our children and our families. So welcome to the Joyful Warrior podcast, Lisa. And I'm going to kind of give you the floor to let us uh, tell us a little bit about Utah Parents United and some of the work that you've been doing. Well, thank you so much for the the warm welcome, Tiffany, and I'm glad to be here. Uh, so I I basically am a mom. I have three kids, and two of them are in the public school system. And what I've been doing is uh, I'm a social-emotional learning advisor to Utah Parents United. I'm also a member. And really what I have uncovered uh, through a bunch of research is um, just that social-emotional learning is a Trojan horse for introducing our kids to all sorts of other ideologies um, that they want them to learn under the guise of something really, like you said, looks very innocuous and, and safe. Yeah. So these things appear to be somewhat benign. They have a dark side. And I know you talk about the fact that parents need to educate themselves so they can make the best choices for their children. So how have you seen social emotional learning being applied in Utah? And um, tell us what are some of the things that we should be looking out for? Well, social emotional learning is is like the new fad in education. Right? We go through all these, you know, Common Core and this and that, but really, it's 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 being applied all over the United States, not just in Utah. Um, all 50 states have adopted SEL programs, and um, it's really the new buzzword, like you said, in education. And we have social emotional learning programs all over the state. Um, each district will adopt their own. Uh, we don't really have any standards per se that say we have to have a curriculum. We just have health standards that we need to meet. And that's why a lot of districts are adopting social emotional learning programs beyond the fact that we really are going through kind of a emotional health and mental health crisis, right? Because all these kids uh, through COVID have really had a hard time um, either because they're wearing masks and they're not able to communicate as well as they possibly could. Um, Maybe they're not hanging out with their friends as much. So uh, a lot of these social emotional learning programs are coming in because we really are seeing like our, our kids are in distress. But I, I got involved with all this kind of in an interesting way. Uh, I was already kind of involved um, with coming to the, the district board meetings and I was looking at an agenda and I thought, oh, you know, there, there's some words on here that I kind of recognize implicit bias and microaggression. And I had known enough about critical race theory to kind of be alarmed and kind of look into it a little bit more. And on that same slideshow, they were talking about the social emotional learning program they'd implemented, which in my district was called Second Step. Uh, Second Step is one of the most widely used programs in the nation. In fact, it reaches something about 20 and a half million uh, students a year. Mm -hmm. So 
I've always kind of been an investigative journalist my whole life. Um, I look into even silly things, right? I can tell you all about the O.J. Simpson trial or the JFK assassination, but <laughs> okay, in this, case, <laughs> this came across my lap and I just started digging. And what yeah. I started finding, um, first of all, is that second step uh, on their website, subscribe to the new definition of social emotional learning because social emotional learning kind of came in, um, you know, it's these five core competencies and it's always been touted as, you know, the process through which children acquire the skills to recognize and manage emotions, develop caring and concern for others and make responsible decisions to establish positive relationships and handle challenging situations effectively. And like you said, that sounds really amazing. But in hey. 2020, Castle, who is the, the organization which sets these five core competencies, and basically they're like the rubric from which all SEL programs are measured against, right? And they so weight if, them. Based, so if parents are listening standards. right now, if parents are listening right now, Castle, C-A-S-E-L, an acronym, go look it up online, uh, start learning a little bit. I just wanted to repeat that. Go ahead, Lisa. Thank you. Yes. And that's what the Collaborative for Academic Social Emotional Learning. And so in 2020, amidst the global pandemic and, you know, all these racial rights we were having, they kind of quietly updated their definition of social and emotional learning to be transformative social mm -hmm. and emotional learning, which is basically social emotional learning, but done through an equity lens. So if you look at a lot of their white papers from the last three years or four years when they're talking about this, they literally read like the communist manifesto. They're against capitalism. Um, they're against white people. <laughs> um, it really is very racist. And so now that they have these new competencies, all of the SEL programs that are measured by CASEL have to change their standards. Right. So we're seeing a lot of these um, equity type standards or, or racial type lens coming through because of this new definition. And in the case of Second Step, um, what I noticed was uh, they do this as a part of the anti-bullying program. And they said one of the three core um, social factors that contribute to bullying is power and privilege. And then they go on to show these cartoons in the PowerPoint in eighth grade, and you'll see uh, almost every time they show a cartoon where they're talking about bullying, the white person, is in, white person is in the position of the aggressor, and a person of color is in the position of the victim. And so the kids obviously make those associations. Besides that, um, had a very heavy bent towards social justice, and not just for race, but also for gender. Uh, they really heavily advocate for LGBTQIA activism. And it's not just about, you know, being kind to others, recognizing that other people may have different, you know, preferences than you, but it's, it's, it goes into then accepting those preferences and believing them. So um, this is really what we see with this program. And then they have a very anti-parent bent as well. They, they oftentimes picture parents as the roadblocks to children's goals. Uh, so I want to ask you about that. So mm -hmm. one of the things at Moms for Liberty, we say a lot, and I and I remember I said it on a school board diet in 2020 when I was still serving, and I said, we do not co-parent with the government. There are, are certain things that parents are responsible for teaching their children, and schools should not be um, taking that power and authority from the parent away and, and the direction away from the parent. And so I always think SEL is kind of like this 
this substitute, right? So not the values of the home and, and the, what the child's being raised with, but the government's values that they're trying to kind of impart on the children. Um, and pushing the parents out of, of that relationship is an important part of it, I would imagine, right? Absolutely. They almost want to paint the parents as an oppressor, right? right. And, and the children in the, in the position of the oppressed, um, because maybe we're not letting them have their, you know, sexual rights or sexual liberation, and they should be able to decide whatever gender they want to be. Um, and that's, and, and whatever side of that you believe, right, whatever, all these issues, right, we may be on different sides of these issues. But like you're saying, I think everyone would agree that parents should have the main role in how their children are educated as far as their values, attitudes, and beliefs. We should well, not and, and let that rest in the hands of the government. I agree with that. And I think what we've been seeing and, and you know, we, we're, we're talking about we're talking about second step that your children have been a part of. Um, there are many different programs, as you said, they they go through Castle. They want to be approved as social emotional learning um, method methodologies and teaching in schools. What we're seeing in practice in the schools is that as the children are going into middle school and they're having these conversations about gender and gender transition, the schools really truly are keeping things from parents. They're engaging with students now um, about the child's gender identity or sexuality and cutting the parent out to the point that forms are being signed by children and that parents can't see without the consent of the child. And, um, you know, I think when you say we can all agree, I think we can all agree on the fact that if something's happening with a child, the parents should be a part of that process. And especially if something's happening with one of my kids, that's a sexual issue, a gender identity issue, I want to help support them. That's a hard thing to go through. And no child should go through that alone. And to I, the idea of replacing the role of the parent with the government is just mind blowing and should be scary to everyone. Absolutely. And, and you even see with, um, they're not doing assessments, right. With the social emotional learning and, um, really what they're measuring is, um, and why they're doing this is to create programs that are more coercive that draw them away from their familial religious and cultural beliefs. And in fact, they ask the children in some of these assessments, what are your family religious and cultural beliefs? And, and it, um, the people who are behind these assessments literally say it's to counter the discriminatory behaviors picked up at school and in the family. So if your family is religious and you believe that there are only two genders, they don't see you as inclusive and they need to figure out how to make programs that coerce children away from those beliefs and into their way of thinking. So parents might have heard of Panorama Education, these Panorama surveys. Um, so if that sounds familiar to you, parents, Merrick Garland, when he issued his DOJ notice, one of the things that uh, the group Parents Defending Education brought to light um, was the fact that his son-in-law uh, started Panorama. So here we have someone who's very influential and, and a member of their family is now pushing these types of surveys into our children's schools, which are really invasive. And asking a lot, a lot about it, it, of, of private family issues and, and in a school environment. So um, really, really scary stuff. So Lisa, in in are you seeing those surveys being put out in Utah? They're definitely tracking student okay. behavior and, and assessments. I mean, they, they do that through a lot of different avenues. Um, we do have Panorama here in Utah. I know they, they ask children a lot of very sensitive information in the RISE surveys, mm -hmm. um, the RISE test. And uh, really, that's, it's, it's an invasive, like you're saying, way of figuring out what students believe. So again, they can change these programs to, to figure out how to make them more effective. 
Right. Um, but yeah, we, we are definitely seeing that in Utah. So let's talk a little bit about what parents can do. Because what you're seeing in Utah, as you said before, it is all over the country. If you don't think it's in your kid's school district, I'm telling you now, you're probably wrong. Um, there, there, this is really something that has been um, woven through every uh, level of your child's education. And it's no longer just uh, a second step or, or a separate type of uh, activity. It is sometimes, but now it's actually being woven through every class. Um, and I think that parents need to be aware of that. So tell us, Lisa, what can parents do um, about social emotional learning if they have concerns? Well, first of all, I would opt your child out of whatever curriculum or program that um, your district may be using. I would also look into it. Um, the other unfortunate part about these, these programs is that a lot of them are online. And so in order to actually look at the program in depth, you can't just log on from the you know, comfort of your home into a computer and look at the, what your child is learning at school. You actually have to go into the district office, have an administrator log you in and spend hours there combing through all of the material. And, um, so, and, and what, what is the other thing about these programs that a lot of them are dynamic and I would ask your district, do you have a policy in place for dynamic curriculum? Because they may approve a curriculum, maybe parents have seen it, right? A lot of times we have parent committees, but then they'll just update the videos and right. your district and nobody else will see that material. And in our case, it updated and nobody knew until another parent, Stacey Clayton and I looked at it. We spent 30 hours in the district office going over just one grade, eighth grade of the second set program and uncovered that there were two third-party links in there that violated Utah law in regards to sex education. Wow. So parents so need to get involved. They do need to get involved. So let me ask you, I, I asked to see the teacher's manual of my son's fourth grade English language arts curriculum. And my, uh, my school district told me that I could see it for 15 minutes and I would be supervised during that time because I couldn't take any pictures or videos. And then if I wanted to see it for longer than 15 minutes, I would be provided an estimate, I would imagine, for my supervision. Um, and so um, were you supervised when you were looking over this or did they, did they just kind of, did they let you log onto the computer and you were able to, were you able to record any of it or take pictures? And They did, they did just let us into a room and put all the books and stuff on the table. Okay. I would have to say that the first time I did that and asked to do that, uh, I was never notified that there were videos um, for the ah. second step curriculum. And it wasn't until a teacher resigned over having to teach the curriculum that I found out that videos even existed. And board yeah, so, th know. so they're not going to give you all the information easily, are they? No. And that's the thing. Parents have to do their due diligence. Yeah. And, and, you know, in regards to you're talking about parents and what they can do, um, really what I'm finding is, that, you know, a lot of parents will come up to me and they're like, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. You know, I know <laughs> you're doing so much behind the scenes to uncover all this stuff and expose it. But, you know, we need more help. Um, yes. I think a lot of parents say, okay, thank you so much um, for all the sacrifices you're making. But, you know, this monster is, is way bigger than I think I ever thought it was. And, and parents, you can't just let all the other parents who are, are out there doing the work do it on their own. I think it's time for parents to really um, get involved, you know, read the curriculums and expose things, um, help educate other parents. 
uh, figure out how you can help with laws or policies to, to get these things out of your school districts. So you said that that some of the what you were seeing were, was violating Utah law. Can you talk about that a little bit? What laws were there that, that were being violated? Because it might help parents to have some ideas to where to start. Well, we have, you know, in, in Utah, Utah is very family oriented. Um, we really believe that parents should be the primary educators, and especially when it comes to, to sex education. And so we have very strict laws in the books in regards to what the parameters of what they can teach um, for sex education. And so the link that I had found um, would basically say, you know, for more information about health, building healthy relationships, which is usually, you know, cover for comprehensive sex education, right. uh, go to this website and it was called loveisrespect.org. And on that website, um, and this was for um, eighth graders. Okay, and there was say the website again. What was the seventh. website? Loveisrespect.org. Okay, thank you. And... When you go to that site at first, on it tells you because you can obviously report um, abuse on that website. It'll tell you, you know, hold on, you might be monitored. Um, this is how you can clear your web browser <laughs> and you oh, can wow. chat with someone online there. Um, so there is any, you know, 12 and 13 year old, you know, 13 year olds specifically to this site. Um, and on that website, they had things like five tips for your first time. Um, oh, wow. It talked about po- polyamory, it talked about what to do if your partner's blackmailing you. Oh. It talked about revenge porn. Okay. Uh, and then it had links to another site called Scarletine, where they could learn how to have a self, um, safe self-managed medical abortion. Oh, wow. That's great. That, so, so, so school districts driving children through programs into this type of information. Um, we had a situation here in Florida. I saw that there was a hot, like a hotline um, that kids could call into to get advice, like sex advice. And it was free sex mm-hmm. advice, similar to that. Like nervous about your first time, give us a call. And it was the school district that was supporting this, this hotline. And so, um, you know, I continue to say, like, I asked someone the other day at an interview and we were talking about some of the books that we're finding in the libraries. And I'm going to ask you, I know James Lindsay came out to Utah recently. I'm a big James Lindsay fan. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you need to go online and look up James Lindsay. Right. And so, and we're going to talk about him in a second. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been asked about these books in the libraries and a lot of the books are just, I mean, really pornographic in nature. And, and it, you know, begs the question, right? Like who's vetting these books? Now we see what some of the districts are doing. So the idea that these books are getting in shouldn't be shocking to any of us, but they're there. And um, there was some pushback by the report. And she said, well, you know, critics of yours and critics of this movement are saying, you know, that the books should be there. And if a child can experience trauma at a certain age, they should be aware of it and they should have, you know, help and guidance through it. And, um, and I just asked her, I said, you know, so let me ask you, like, are, do we want like 11 and 12 year old kids to be having sex? Like as a, as a no. country, like, right. Do we want, and you say, no, of course not. Right. Like, I'm yeah, a mama absolutely not. Right. I mean, there's a reason why the age of consent is 14. I would imagine, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I, there are a lot of different there are a lot of different things we could look at as far as child sexual development is concerned. And and there are some different opinions about it, but I think in general, collectively as a country, we really didn't want kids, you know, 11, 12 years old, kids shouldn't be having sex. And so the reporter says, no, I I agree with that. I said, okay, so why are we talking about sex with them all the time? Why are we feeding it into their school day? Why is it constantly around them? Why are we discussing it with them constantly? What do you expect to have happen if you flood them constantly with these types of images and conversations? 
And so I asked that to you, right? Like, what do they think the end game is? And then why do they want our children sexually active at such a young age? Well, interestingly enough, when I dug into SEL and realized that the same people involved in getting Common Core into our school system were the same people who got social emotional learning involved in our school system. And a lot of those organizations um, coming down from the UN have ties to international Planned Parenthood. So of Mm. course they want to sexualize our children early because they'll be sexually active. They can then push them to Planned Parenthood where they can get birth control and they can get abortions and they can do all these sorts of things. And it's really, really a sad thing that, that we have to fight as far as, as far regards to the book debate um, to get pornographic material off the bookshelf. Um, this is not censorship. This is about obscenity and the law. And libraries should not be protected. Um, you know, we put Playboys behind a screen, right, right. At, at the grocery store. Uh, why are kids able to go into a library and pick a book, book up off the shelf where they're able to see a, a cartoon um, depiction of someone giving a blowjob to someone else? It's, yeah. it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate. And as moms, you know, we have to stand up and, and take action. I know James just tweeted something else, uh, tweeting something out, and I'm going to look it up and find it because it was so funny to me. Um, but tell us, so hold on, I'm going to find this now because it, it really did crack me up. I think he said there was no, hell hath no fury like a mom realizing what, what the woke is trying to do to her child, but he said it in a funnier way, I think. And, and <laughs> I mean, no doubt that's true, right? I mean, I think moms are pissed off and rightly so. So, you know, tell us what was, what was James visit out to Utah? Like, tell us what, you know, what, you, if, if what you guys learned from him um, during his visit out to, to Utah Parents United. Well, he actually was here not um, visiting with Utah Parents United per se. I just had the opportunity okay. to meet with him. We had already been uh, messaging back and forth on Twitter. But um, I knew the, the gentleman who uh, was making the documentary that he was okay. interviewing for. It's about critical awesome. race theory. Can't wait for that to come out, mm-hmm. um, hopefully sometime next year. And then he also did an interview with Politicket with uh, Senator John Johnson here in Utah. And he did a really amazing interview just talking about um, – how really a lot of this stuff we're seeing with SEL and, and all of that is, and critical race theory is just Marxism getting into our schools. And because it's, I mean, really the, the gender theorists, the critical race theorists and the Marxists all have similar bents, right? Yes. Um, they all believe, <laughs> right, that, that we should have, um, there's an oppressed and an opp- oppressor and an oppressed class. And for the Marx um, people, it's class, for the gender theorists, it's gender, and for the the uh, critical race there it's its race right well, so they for, in america they picked right and in america race was just the perfect vehicle for them to try to do this to sow this division in our country right right yeah it's the perfect uh vehicle because you know america does have a past that we're not you know part of it we're not proud of right we, we did yeah. have racism in our country racism exists in our country but their their argument is that it's systemic it exists in everything and if you're white and if you benefit from that um, system and institutional um, structure where um, they believe it's racist to begin with, then you are automatically racist towards people of color and have implicit bias. And that's the bent that they're, an angle they're looking at everything 
And they're saying that our children are racist from birth, though, that that I mean, I, I know there's a study that was done. It wasn't a very good study and shouldn't be taken seriously, but I think it articulates the ridiculousness of this conversation and, and what we're talking about. That study with the six month old babies where they showed pictures of people of different right. races. And they said that because the, the baby's eyes lingered longer on the faces uh, that looked like them, that that was evidence of racism um, and um I just, you know, I mean, I reject that as a mom. I, I personally, I, I talk to moms all over the country. Um, racism does exist in America. There is no doubt. I have heard it. Um, I have seen it demonstrated, but I do not believe that our children, our babies are racist and that they're going to school looking at each other through the lens of race constantly, except now with everything that we're seeing, they are. Right. I mean, if racism didn't exist before in our children, I think it's being sown now in America's public schools. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. They keep hyper focusing on that particular subject. And of course, then um, people don't know how to interact with people of color. Right. When when are they are they thinking automatically off the bat? Well, oh, that person thinks I have. Uh, white supremacy or white privilege and, and, and are they going to look down on me because I'm talking to them or are they're afraid to say the wrong thing, right? Because people, <laughs> I mean, or they're afraid to, I mean, they've, they've made everything into a racial issue, which is so, oh, well, so sad. It is so sad. And we've really shouldered our children with the, these adult issues, right? Um, yeah. The boys aren't all blue, George Johnson. Uh, and I've mentioned this before, but I keep saying it. He said, you know, if a child's old enough to experience a, a trauma, then we should be preparing them to experience that trauma. And he was talking about the fact that he was a victim of incest when he was um, a young man um, exploring his, his, his sexuality. And, and I think it was a cousin. Um, and that was in a yeah. book that was found in, in an elementary school library, The Boys Aren't All Blue. And so we just reject that, right? This idea of this trauma-informed care, social-emotional learning, that every child needs to go through the same trauma or be prepared to experience the worst trauma that any child could experience seems uh, like faulty thinking. Um, I don't think parents want their children emotionally and mentally abused when they're in school, which is what this feels like. Um, and it certainly is an invasion in the family. And I know James talks a little about it, about the Red Guard and in and, and, and China and this idea of, you know, turning children against their parents. So our lives and the decisions we make are seen to them as antiquated and old fashioned and holding them back, right? Right. Yeah. Another thing James and I talked about actually, um, and I know one of the areas he really wants to focus on is environmental, social, and corporate governance courts, and how this all ties in with SEL. Um, because you mentioned, you know, preparing them for trauma and preparing them really what they want to use SEL for. Um, and this is exactly what Abby Cox said, um, our governor's wife, when I met with her and I showed her all the different ideologies coming through the social emotional learning program, was that she said her initiative um, she wants to increase social emotional learning in Utah, uh, would be to, um, for emotional intelligence, right? Preparing an emotionally intelligent or, you know, this whole buzzword of EQ, um, intelligent, soft skilled, um, things for the workforce, right? The workforce mm -hmm. of the future. Um, and really this is where you see ESG tying in because, Absolutely. And you have to explain what ESG is, though, I think, Lisa, because I, I think that's new to a lot of people. You know, I'm familiar with it, um, and it's obviously taken hold in corporate America, but I don't know everyone's I don't know everyone listening will know so much about it. So why don't you share with us a little bit about it? Well, basically, it's a rating system for businesses. Um, and, 
you know, based on their environmental score or their social score or their corporate governance score, how well they perform in these three areas. And that's going to determine if people are going to invest in those companies. And so one of the things you see um, with when they start talking about emotional intelligence and having an inclusive, diverse workforce, that that could definitely be lumped in with the ESGs um, as you hear people talk about it now, right? They talk about um, people are no longer caring about uh, the workforce of the future, their education, right? Their background, their, their past work experience. They're now caring about their soft skills. And this is why SBL is coming in in a big way too. But unfortunately, when we talk about building an inclusive, diverse workforce, you always have to ask yourself, who is defining the word inclusive and how are they going to measure that? Right. right. So like we talked about before, if you're a religious person and you don't believe that there are more than two genders, is that going to make you not inclusive? Because what they are doing is they are recording scores, social emotional learning scores from preschool to age 20. And the workforce eventually are going to look at those just like it's on your report card, just like what the grade you got in college. They're going to wow. look at those social emotional scores and possibly hire you based on those scores because those businesses will then have to um, have better ESG scores by having a more inclusive workforce, right? So you right. can see where all this is going. Um, it's really, really a dangerous place where we are letting certain people um, basically say, these are the qualities we want in our society. And if you don't measure up to these qualities, you don't belong. So parents can opt their children out of these surveys in school, I would imagine. Um, yes, and they can. They, and so one of the things you can do as a parent is you can immediately go to your school district and you can ask them about any type of social emotional learning that's happening in schools, surveys that are being given in schools, and you can tell them that you do not want your child participating in any of those things. I would do it in writing. I would ask for a confirmation. Um, that's not to say it won't still happen because schools don't listen to us very well sometimes, but um, keep trying. The other question to ask if you opt your child out is, will there be some type of communication through that um, program saying that my child is not participating, but a teacher is going to participate somewhat on their behalf. I have heard that that is happening as well. Um, so uh, teachers will be putting inputting some amount of information about your child um, into these programs and surveys. Um, but, you know, demand your, your privacy, parents. Um, you deserve it. Absolutely. Your children deserve it, right? Um, one of the things that I think oftentimes, Lisa, it's surprising to me, but it's important for us to talk about it is our legislators sometimes don't know a lot about this, do they? No, they don't. And okay. again, it, because it's a perfect Trojan horse. I mean, look at all, the, I mean, what parents and what, you know, human being wouldn't want their child to learn skills like empathy, kindness, goal setting, whatever. Right. And, and I think they just don't understand because they don't see uh, what is happening with these social emotional learning programs that it's very dangerous. And especially because um, like in the sixth to eighth grade, um, it's a little more obvious, right? What they're trying to do, what they're trying to teach. What you don't see in these K to five programs is that they are teaching empathy and perspective taking, but they change the definition as time goes on. So they'll say, oh, well, empathy is just realizing that other people have different, you know, beliefs than you and just recognizing that not everybody's in a believe the same thing. And then it's like, oh, well, now we're going to accept it and we're going to acknowledge it. And they introduce a lot of terms that get them into allyship and anti-racism. It's all the stuff you'd find on those websites, like recognizing your blind spots. So unless you see the whole program, right, right. from start to finish, 
you don't make those connections how these progressions are happening. So I think even lawmakers, I think, have a hard time seeing this stuff unless it's presented to them in a proper way. Yep. And, and it's important, parents, to educate your legislators about what's going on. Bring them the evidence of it. Help them to write policy and uh, to take action to stop some of this. Um, but don't give up because they may not listen the first time. They may not understand it. And you're going to have to really work to educate people. Um, and then you're going to have to support them because it's not enough to bring the information, but it's going to be hard for some of these legislators to take a stand against it. Um, they're people too. It's not fun or nice to be called a racist or a bigot. And unfortunately, when a lot of these people want to discuss these issues with us, they don't want to discuss the issues, excuse me, they, they because they know that there are so many, they, they know there are holes in it. They know that there is an um, ulterior motive uh, for the teaching of it. And so, you know, we get to the place where, oh, CRT doesn't exist. It's not being taught in schools. Well, even if CRT isn't being taught in your school, social emotional learning is, is taking place in your schools. And it is a vehicle for critical race theory and critical theory in general to enter your children's yeah. um, lives. And so that's important to know. And it's something we're talking about more. And Lisa, I'm just so thankful uh, for moms like you and other moms around the country who are diving into their kids' education. I say all the time, COVID uh, has been very difficult for our country in many ways, but we make lemonade. And the COVID lemonade here is the way that parents have been able to get into their kids' education and uncover a lot of this. And I know it takes a lot of courage to walk into your district office and say, you know, show me what you're teaching our kids, because I'm sure, you know, they weren't, they, I'm sure they don't love having you there. So do you have any advice for parents as they, you know, as they can kind of, you know, I know you say fight with facts, not feelings. So how can they right. stand strong together and, and fight with facts, not feelings? I think having a, having a great relationship with your school board really helps. I mean, make yes. relationships with your, with your members on your school board. Um, because when you build those relationships, there's that rapport there, and you, they're much more willing to listen to you when you present them the facts. I think just also educate those other parents, because um, there were times we would fill the whole boardroom and have two overflow rooms, um, because we had educated our community about the dangers of social emotional learning and, um, you know, stand behind each other and make public comments, get yourself out there. Um, and then I think really just we were, we were very successful. Um, we actually were able to, um, I think that our, the community really responds when you uncover things like sexual content being shown to minors. And so really, if you can bring that out and, and get people fired up about that, um, our superintendent made the move to then, um, suspend the program and, Good. uh, just a, just a short, um, month and a half ago, they, they voted this particular program out. Um, Way to go, so, Lisa. Way to thank go. You. Yeah. Thank you. So just don't give up. You know, it, it was a month long process of really just keep presenting the material, keep banding together and, and just know that the truth will eventually come out in the wash. Right. Awesome. So you can go to utahparentsunited.org. They have more information about social emotional learning at Moms for Liberty. We love to see parents uh, working together where you're a chat, whether you're a chapter of ours or you have your own group. We believe we should all be sharing our resources. It's going to take all of us united to reclaim our children's education in America today. Um, and parents are going to have to be the ones to do it. Um, moms, uh, we are fueled by the love for our children. There is nothing more powerful. And, um, you know, I think they have no idea um, how 
how dangerous we are at the ballot mm-hmm. box. I think, you know, I'm sure you're seeing in Utah that, you know, we're engaging parents in a way uh, that has, they have never been engaged before and they are motivated. Um, so if you are a legislator and you are listening to this, um, we beg you, please look into what your state uh, education department is, is approving to be taught in your schools. And when parents are coming to you with this information, um, listen to them. Uh, They love their kids, they love our country, and they want to try to help uh, to partner in their children's education. And Lisa, um, thank you very much for coming on uh, and joining us. Um, I hope with Moms for Liberty, I hope we can work some more in the future with our chapters to share some of this information more directly. Um, Again, if you don't know who James Lindsay is, if you're not listening to uh, his podcast or you're not following him on Twitter yet at Conceptual James, look him up. Um, James helped Lisa and I to connect Um, And strong moms uh, owe him um, a debt of gratitude because he is definitely helping to uncover a lot of what is happening in America today. Lisa, do you have any final comments for us? No, just thank you so much for having me on, Tiffany, and for highlighting this this very important issue about social emotional learning. I think um, it really is a new debate. Um, I think critical race theory is is very obvious, but social emotional learning is this very covert way they're sneaking in. So I appreciate you uh, covering this on your podcast. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming and talking to us and we wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season. You as well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Lisa. Bye. Next up, we're going to answer questions from all of you joyful warriors around the country. Hey, everybody. Tiffany here. I wanted to take a second to talk with you all about being a joyful warrior. And I want to say that I I know it's not easy to be joyful every day. Um, There are a lot of things that are happening in our country, as we talk about, that are concerning. And I know we're worried about our kids and their future. And so, so far on this podcast, we've had an opportunity to speak with Lisa Logan from Utah. You just heard from her about social emotional learning and some of the things that are being taught in school that you need to make yourselves more aware of. Um, I, you'll probably be a little angry when you first start learning about it, but then hopefully we'll be able to get you to the place where you can fight back um, in an effective way. And so next up, after this moment of, of kind of answering some questions, you're going to hear from uh, Brittany uh, Bolden, who is the chair of the Moms for Liberty Union County, North Carolina chapter. Um, but kind of in the middle here, I just wanted to take a second to step back and talk about um, being a joyful warrior and what that means and where it came from. Uh, when I was sitting on school board, there were times, especially during COVID, when I was seeing parents being just completely disregarded, that I was angry. And um, it showed in my life, right? I, I was angry. I was frustrated. I wasn't sure what to do. Um, I was seeing kids being harmed, and I was seeing adults ignoring it or making excuses for it. And um, you know, I was raised to believe that we do everything we can to protect children. And um, so I was frustrated, and I think a lot of that frustration, you know, kind of turned to anger or was in part anger at not knowing how to be a part of the solution. And um, so being a joyful warrior doesn't mean that you don't get angry. 
Um, I always say we, we're going to fight like hell, but we're going to do it with a smile on our face. Um, because what I had to really do was step back and think about what that anger was doing to me personally, but then also to my family. And um, we can be angry about what's happening in America today. I think it's okay. I think it's appropriate, honestly. Um, but I think we need to, to really kind of assess and, and step back and reflect and see how much of that anger is affecting us as human beings. It's not good for our health. Uh, it's certainly not good for our families. And um, getting involved with Moms for Liberty, starting this group, and then being able to work with parents across the country has been um, wonderful, such a blessing. Um, who knew uh, in my 40s I was going to make so many new friends? Um, it is really um, the, the lemonade part, one of the lemonade parts of, of all of this happening with COVID and, and with kind of, you know, laying bare that what's happening in our, our, our public education system um, to see so many other parents who have the same concerns and want to get involved. And um, so I sleep at night, right? Because I work really hard all day long. And I know a lot of you can also uh, kind of connect with that. Um, you know, there could be a lot of sleepless nights here. There could be a lot of anger. Um, and instead, I think what we're seeing American parents do, like Lisa and like you'll hear from Brittany, is really digging down inside themselves and using every skill that they have. You know, Lisa has, an, has experience um, in research, in journalism um, that she's kind of put to work. Um, and Brittany has drawn from her skill set, and that's what we ask all of our chapter chairs and our members to do, to really see how they can use the tools in their own toolbox to be effective um, in making positive change. And I've just found through that process that it does help uh, to be more joyful. It does help to reframe the situation, to be involved and to be making a difference so that you don't feel helpless or frustrated or angry, maybe still a little angry. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes with some of the stuff I'm seeing with the kids, it, it does. It makes you angry um, and confused. Um, but we can get involved and we can make a difference. And when you see that your advocacy and your involvement can create positive change in your community, um, then you'll be joyful too, I promise. Um, so uh, I just wanted to share that joyful warrior kind of talk with you today because a lot of people ask me, you know, what does that mean? How do I handle the fact that the districts are ignoring my concerns or that we feel that the districts are working against us as parents? And, and sometimes they are. And um, I say with a smile, our children are watching us. Let, let us create a situation where when they look back on their childhoods, they remember that their parents fought for the survival of America, but they did it in a way that showed that being a patriot and fighting for what you know is right um, is a good experience and something to be honored and valued and something that every person should want to be a part of. So... Just wanted to share that message today, answer any questions about being a joyful warrior. If you have questions and you'd like me to answer them on the next podcast, you can go on our Facebook page and send us a, a message uh, for our chapter chairs. Feel free, your chapters, to email me. Um, and uh, we can chat next week about some of the other questions that you may have. But for this week, um, just proud to be highlighting these warrior moms. And... Um, Let's listen to, uh, to Brittany tell us a little bit about Union County and chat with Pat. Next up, we chat with Pat, Chapter Chair Coordinator for Moms for Liberty across the United States of America. Now it's time for my favorite segment of the show. 
the Joyful Warrior Podcast, our chat with Pat. Good morning, Pat Blackburn. How are you today? I'm great, Tiffany Justice. I am getting oh, the mad dash for Christmas. Has I know. Can I just tell you something quickly? I was so excited to see all of our chapters having floats all over the country in these holiday parades. What a beautiful way for our chapters to get involved in their communities. And so well received. Mm-hmm. Um, you, they, the stories that they're telling us about how the community is just thanking them for their advocacy and what they're doing. Um, so it's fun for them to get out and be part of their community and the community really appreciates it. So it's, a yeah. So, well. you know, we yeah. fight, we fight for parental rights to defend our parental rights at all levels of government. And, um, we're very focused on schools and reclaiming our children's education, but I think people really love to see the American flags and to see the kids getting involved in patriotism and feeling proud to be American. I think it's a wonderful part of what moms for Liberty is bringing, um, to the table and spreading across the country. So for all the moms and dads that worked on these holiday floats and you just represented us so beautifully. And, you know, I think I posted a couple of times on Twitter, it would have been very easy uh, for America after the horrible massacre in the Christmas parade in Wisconsin to kind of say, you know, maybe we shouldn't have Christmas parades or should we, but no, I love the spirit of Americans that said, we're going to gather together. We're going to celebrate. We're going to do it because it's the best thing for our community, for all of us to come together and to uh, be united. And so I know uh, all of us carried in our hearts, the memories of the people that were lost in that massacre. And we are trying to continue to push forward to show what is best about our country. Um, So speaking about what is best about our country, you have a special guest for us today. Can you introduce us, please? Absolutely. So um, as the chapter chair coordinator, uh, it's my job to work with the chapter chairs around the country. And we have with us today, um, one of my, well, I can't say one of my favorites. That's not very (laughs) nice, is it? All of them are my favorites. Um, But I have with me Brittany Bolden. She is chapter chair of our Union County, North Carolina chapter. Um, And she has uh, kind of come full circle in, you know, starting her chapter, getting it up and running and um, learning how to uh, not only I know you say sometimes we have to break a few eggs, but she's learned how to. Uh, break the eggs when it's appropriate, but she's been able to also um, be part of the the process and have a seat at the table. So I just thought it would be a great opportunity to get to know uh, some of our chapter chairs and periodically have them on uh, our podcast. And I think that here's Brittany. I think that is a great idea. Welcome Brittany from Union County, North Carolina. Thank you, Pat. You should just do it like I do my kids. You can say I'm your favorite Union County, North Carolina chapter <laughs> chair. That's a good one. Okay. Br- let me introduce <laughs> to you. <laughs> Brittany, my favorite Union County, North Carolina chapter chair. <laughs> so Pat, you just said that, you know, you said something about cracking eggs. Uh, you're right. I say that a lot. I say if you want an omelet, you're gonna have to crack a few eggs, right? And so, but the but the mm-hmm. truth of the matter is is that you're right. It's it's delicate, it's a learning process as you're starting these chapters to figure out where your place is, how to, you know, it, it, how to be effective, right? So welcome, Brittany. What is going on in Union County, North Carolina? Fill us in. 
Well, thank you for the welcome. I'm super thrilled to be here. I'm a fan of, of both of y'all and the work that you do. And I'm just thankful for, for y'all doing this and giving me an opportunity to get involved. Um, I, I was seven months ago sitting on my couch in my pajamas, you know, drowning in my sorrows that my childhood, my children's future was, was going down the drain. And this is, um, this has given me purpose and it's, it's, it's made me feel like I could do something and I just wish I would have started sooner. Um, Union County, Union County, North Carolina has had an action packed seven months. <laughs> we, um, we managed to get mask optional for our kids. Um, we voted for that over the summer. A lot of counties in North Carolina voted for that over the summer. But when they started seeing the way that the, um, the toolkit, and I don't know if other states have a toolkit, but in North Carolina, we have a toolkit that the state health department basically rules uh, all the county school districts with um, as far as COVID precautions. Um, the way that they set up the toolkit here in North Carolina was it was um, it was punitive for anyone who wanted to choose not to wear a mask. It was extortion, basically. Um, if you if you wore a mask, you didn't have to quarantine. Um, if you didn't wear a mask, then you would. Um, the only way to get out of that was vaccine, of course, because that's the end game. Um, but they they. They added another level. They it was definitely incentivizing mask wearing, but they added a level where if people were in a classroom and one person was not wearing a mask and that person happened to test positive, then everyone around him, you know, for a certain amount of time and a certain amount of feet, um, had to be quarantined whether they were wearing a mask or not. So it vilified the the unmasked. Um, which is a lot to put on children, right? Like you're going to have a, a half a class be angry at this one kid because he was um, using his rights to, to breathe freely. I mean, that's just horrible. Um, and, you know, that's, can you imagine a kindergartner having to shoulder that pressure? It was just insane. Um, so our, our district, um, our school board voted mask optional. Once all the, um, the counties across the state started seeing this play out with the way the toolkit was set up and that it was punitive and it was extortion. Many, almost all of the counties backtracked and went back to mass mandate to keep from having um, the quarantines because they didn't want the kids out of school, which I completely understand and completely agree that any parent wants their child to be in school. So that's that. Brittany, <clears throat> So, so the way it was, the counties were starting to say there should be optional masking, but the state set up rules that were so punitive for the counties yeah. who had optional masking that they were seeing so many, they don't call them quarantines now, they've called them exclusions, but they Correct. saw so many children missing school that they reversed their decisions and then started re reapplying mask mandates because of the extortion um, implemented by the state, correct? Right. Correct. Um, and our county saw it for what it was, or our, our school board saw it, the majority. We have a couple that didn't, but our school board saw it for what it was, and enough of them saw it for what it was that they said, no, we're, we, we refuse to be extorted, um, which to me was extremely courageous. 
And we're extremely thankful. And they got the point, right? You're going to let the state extort you with your children. Um, what's next? It's not going to stop with masks. If you allow it with masks, you know, it, what's down the pipe? Well, we have vaccines and we all know that's their end game. Um, so, yeah. So our school board said, no, we're not going to be extorted. And with a lot of pressure, the state um, came down and said we are going, they threatened our school district with abatement, which is basically the state saying that they're going to take over all the properties of the school district and, and I guess run it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, but our school district, our, our school board said, bring it. We're not backing down. Um, and they, and the state ended up backing down. So uh, I just want to step in for a second and say, yeah. I just want to say that, you know, a lot of times uh, what I have found is that the appetite to, to stand up for what's right, it, it does lie with the school board. Sometimes they have it, but they can't do it without the community support. So can you just talk about that a little bit? Yes. So, so here's the thing. Yes, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, there, we had, we had some interesting votes. We had votes of, um, we had a couple eight, we have nine school board members. So we had some nine to one votes. We had eight to two votes. We had a five, four vote in there where some of the people that were against masking went back to voting for um, masks because they wanted the children in school and they were, they didn't like the quarantines. And um, so we, as parents, just, we did an email campaign. We called, I mean, we showed up to the school board meetings. I mean, we mobilized and basically told them that we had their back. We would stand with them if they would stand up to the state. Um, and we knew that we needed it in numbers because, you know, we do have people here that are very angry um, about the fact that the school board stood up. They wanted everyone in masks and our school. So we knew we had to get a lot. And so our, our parents rallied and we came out in numbers. And my, my big slogan that I say, cause it was an aha moment for me just as a parent is the government goes to those who show up. And I, I knew that I had spent my whole lifetime not showing up and that had to change. And so as a community, we all realized we needed to show up and we did. And we've had many moments with, with our school board at school board meetings where we thank them. We thank them tremendously for having the courage because um, we know it wasn't easy. And we also know that um, they are getting such hate mail um, and harassment. It, it's, it's unbelievable. So I just, um, yeah, you have to really give them the support they need. And then sometimes they, I mean, like we had a five, four vote because some of the people flipped because they were worried about having kids in seats. I mean, it's the state knew what they were doing. They were putting the school boards in an impossible situation. Right. Um, and so when that happens, you have to drill down to what is most important. And the most important thing was we had to protect the parental rights at all costs. Um, and that meant that kids were going to be in court. At one point, we had seven, over 7,000 children in quarantine. Wow. And, and our school board was getting skewered in the news, in emails, at the school board meetings. And did you um, find the same thing just so that, you know, for someone listening and they're not aware, you know, we've been in the trenches here, 7,000 kids quarantined 
you know, we did not see that the kids that were being quarantined were getting sick. Um, no, no. And, and was, so, and they were still out together in society, right? They were still interacting with each other outside of school. Correct. And our school board chair actually kept saying that. And the video is so funny because she's got a Southern draw. She's like, you know, they're going home and they're going to the movies. They're going to the they park, are. They were. Mm-hmm. to the mall, you know, and we would have, you know, pictures and, and they would they would see them on on uh, Twitter and Instagram at the football games packed in. Um, and so they saw it for what it was. It was not a necessary tool that was being used. It wasn't even effective. And quite honestly, I asked um, the school, the the uh, one of the staff members of the school of the school that's in charge of that kind of all the COVID stuff. I asked him if he was collecting data on the number of kids that ended up becoming positive that were quarantined for uh, close contact. And he said, no, he didn't collect that data. So then I reached out to our um, our county health director and asked him if he was collecting that data. And if he was, could he please tell me what that was? And he said he did not have that information. Um, so they weren't even proving that their that their measures were working. Right. And it was horribly hurting children. Horribly. A hundred percent. I mean, I can get, even with the masking, I can get behind masking and I was okay with masking last year because it got us in school. But then I started noticing mask harm and I honestly could get behind masking if there was no harm. But there is harm and there's no proof there. We don't have any long term studies on on harm of psychological issues. I'm a speech therapist. I can tell you right now, children in the early grades, they I always tell people, teachers in general, multisensory is the best because you hit every type of learner. Okay, so you have auditory, visual and kinesthetic. Kinesthetic is doing. Um, So when you're putting a mask on a teacher, you're taking away the visual cues for those early readers and anybody who has a speech impediment or auditory processing issues, you're you're reducing their visual cues or you're taking it away completely. And then you're muffling their auditory cues. Their auditory information is being muffled because the teacher's wearing the mask. It's insanity. Well, and I have a son who has a speech impediment and um, we saw him regress. And it was just really horrible. And, and, and I know that that is the story that a lot of parents have, have seen. Yep. And ha- they've watched hard with their children with their speech. They've watched, you know, therapists working with their children before. And then to for, for the people to say, well, you wear a mask and they wear a mask and we're going to still try to do speech therapy. How difficult. I mean, so, you know, a lot of these things, Pat and I talked about gaslighting last week. I don't know if you heard Mm -hmm. the podcast, but, you know, to me, this is one of those gaslighting situations where parents are seeing the harms happening and the schools are basically, you know, ignoring the factor saying, no, don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. What we used to think was important isn't important now. Right. So thank you for kind of bringing that up and, and, you know, sharing your personal information. So many of our moms have backgrounds in education or in medicine. And, um, you know, it's just really important to hear from you guys. I know that's led a lot of the work that you've done. So, yeah tell us how, so you're talking about how you've engaged with some of these elected officials. You've built relationships with your school board. I would imagine at first, what did they think? Was it a little adversarial at first? Did you have to work a little bit to, to build the relationships? How does that happen? It, it definitely was. And I'll tell you, we came in hot. Um, and I think that's, that's normal, natural for, you know, cause as parents, we, we've felt betrayed 
Um, we felt like our trust has been broken in the system, which, you know, I kind of question why my trust was ever in the system, but, <laughs> um, but we felt betrayed and we felt, we felt blindsided a lot of us, I think, and, and like we didn't have control. So I definitely think we all came in hot. Um, we were ready to just storm the castle. Right. Um, but as, as we got up and spoke at each school board member, each school, school board meeting, um, as we continued to show up for those meetings and we spoke, we noticed when we were speaking, we, they were, they were, they were listening and they were smiling. And I will tell you one of the very first school board meetings that we spoke at, um, it was, there were seven of us. And after that meeting, it was funny. Then we had like, you know, huge, uh, people there to protest us the very next meeting. Like that first meeting was so wonderful because nobody knew that we were on the scene yet. Um, but that meeting, one of the school board members, after all the parent comments, um, he, he said a comment right after we were done. And he, he really set the tone. I think that particular school board member, his name is uh, Reverend Benchon. And he, he said, I have something to say. And he went through, there were seven of us that spoke and he went through, and touched on something that all seven of us talked about. And then he threaded it all. Now he's a reverend. And so he was able to, to thread it all together. And, and I will tell you, I left that first school board meeting and I felt heard. Wow. I don't think that's the case at every school board meeting. Um, but that set the tone, I feel, for us in that we understood that we, we were at least being heard. So we kind of went from attack mode of just like, leave our kids alone to, okay, well, let's just have a conversation. So then it just moved to, we're going to have conversations at the school board meeting. So we're going to bring up the things that we're concerned about. And then we're going to continue the relationship through emails, you know, and we would email per our, you know, per my um, comments at the school board meeting, I would like to take this further and things like that. Um, so that's kind of how we started building. And then as they started voting, in response to what they were hearing, um, that was a huge part of the relationship building too, because not only did we feel heard, but um, but we were seeing results from what we were saying. Um, and then that's when we really flipped it and started moving into less about requests and more into support. Um, and so from that point on, we've really been just trying to bring to their attention things that they can't see and then support them as they um, make the best choices for our children. This is such a, an amazing story um, to listen to, Brittany. And I'm so proud of, of what you've been able to accomplish in Union County. I know Pat's going to ask you about specifically about some of the things that you've been able, some of the wins, some of the progress that you've made. But I just right. want to take a moment to reflect on what you said about this being heard. Um, you know, we've seen this, we've seen an effort across the country to kind of, you know, vilify parents for speaking out, right? We saw the whole domestic terrorist nonsense. What ridiculousness mm -hmm. is that, mm -hmm. right? And um, and then this idea of, of school boards kind of silencing parents, you know, cutting down right. the amount of meetings that they have, cutting down the amount of time that they have. And the truth of the matter is parents want to be heard. They want mm -hmm. to be partners in their children's education. And I think just you saying that a school board member took a second and really connected, listened to what you had to say, and then showed you that he heard you and that your the, the, the concerns that you guys had about your children's education 
mattered to him um, was so important. So for if you're a school board member or an elected official and you're listening to this, please think about that for a second. You may not necessarily agree with what the parents have to say that are coming to you, but if you just take a minute to let them know that you're listening to them and that you're taking into account what they're saying when you're making decisions, um, relationship building goes both ways. And mm -hmm. so our moms are out there trying to build relationships with school boards, but we need school boards to want to build relationships with parents too. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, and Tiffany has said it um, when she was in D.C., you know, it's in the school board should want to partner with parents because mm -hmm. we want our children to succeed. And we know that parental involvement is the biggest predictor of success. So if school districts truly want to um, improve uh, the academic success of their students, they should really want, they should roll out the red carpet for parents. And the thing about Union County, um, and I, I actually emailed uh, yesterday, but the thing about to thank them, because the thing about Union County is the entire, they are leading the entire state of North Carolina. Yes. They, and bravery, they are so brave um, yes. in the face of some pretty scary um, threats from mm -hmm. the state. They are so brave. They are leading the way and that bravery and courage is contagious. And so we've seen other school boards um, follow suit, but it always takes one. It takes mm -hmm. one to stand up and say, no, that's, that's not how right. we do things in America. Um, and so uh, you know, it, school boards want to blame, you know, the National School Boards Association wants to blame parents because of the adversarial, um, I guess, relationship that they have fostered. And mm -hmm. Union County, your board member that you spoke of, he set the stage mm -hmm. for a different kind of relationship with parents and parents are reasonable people. I mean, you you mess with our children, and yes, we're going to be upset about it. But if you um, show that you uh, hear us and that you're willing to, to actually do what's best for kids, we're reasonable. We want to work with you. Um, so that's wonderful. And, um, you know, Brittany, at Moms for Liberty, we celebrate each other, and we celebrate when um, we call them wins. Mm -hmm. um, and really, they're wins for the children. But can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about how things have changed in Union County since the Moms for Liberty chapter came? What are some of the, the, the wins or the differences you've seen for your children? I mean, well, uh, we right now have had half of, half of a year where my kids have not had to wear a mask. Um, we, we've, Union County... <laughs> school district is out of 116 counties, we are dead last. We are 116 in funding. Yet we were number one in outcomes last year during a global pandemic. Um, the state wants to vilify us. Mandy Cohen, was, who's the um, state level um, secretary of health, you know, yesterday or two days ago, they were doing a a thing with the legislators where they're having to be grilled. And she, one of the union County legislators said, you know, I'm uh, Senator Johnson from Johnson from union County. And she goes, Oh yes, we know union County. They like to vilify us. They really do. 
But um, I think when history looks back on this, Union County is going to get huge kudos for doing it right. We, we've, we've bucked what the, what the popular narrative is, and we've looked at all the information. And we've, my kids have, have been able to have, in a really horrible situation in life right now, they have had education in the least restrictive environment possible. Um, and I, that is because of our talking to the school board members and getting involved and having, being willing to have the conversation, showing up. Um, our school board, so let's say two months ago, our county commissioners uh, did not vote for a vote of confidence in our school board after they stood up to the state. Our county commissioners um, actually said, no, we don't have confidence in our school board. And this was right after we were, we were given the number one in performance. Um, but they, our county commissioners, some of them were not wanting to stand up. Um, so our, our parents started reaching out to the county commissioners. And we started, you know, in a group of parents um, that that I've heard about when I watched the county commissioner meeting the other night, he said a group of parents, you know, had reached out to them and said, please, can you can you bridge the gap? Can you build a bridge with the school board and work together to get our kids out of this horrible quarantine nightmare? And so our county um, commissioners and our school board just wrote a resolution to the state, a joint resolution to the state asking for the state to please end all quarantine and contact tracing. And they are going to send a copy of that resolution to, to there's a hundred counties to all the other 99 counties and all 116 other school boards and ask those counties to stand with us. That's amazing, so, Brittany. Yeah. So we're, so it's, it's fun to watch. That's a win. I think the win is, is community. What have we lost over the years? Community. And this, the starting local fighting local is building back community and watching that community expand throughout the state. I'm getting calls all from all over the state, hold the line, keep doing what you're doing, all eyes on union County. And then I'm seeing what we're doing in Union County start to spread across the state. And then those communities are starting to be more robust. And, and it's, it's, it's really, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And I'm just so thankful that I get to be part of it. Are there hard days? Are there days where I'm like, I told my husband the other night, let's get the kids, let's get some supplies. We're going to walk into the woods, never to be heard from again. <laughs> um, and he is not outdoorsy. So he was like, I am not good with this. <laughs> <laughs> but so there are days, right? There are days where it's really hard and we have a, we have a conservative county. So that's been helpful. So I know other people are in counties that maybe aren't as conservative. So they're, they're in tougher situations, but I, I don't want to make it sound like it's been all wins. There are hard, hard days, but man, the amount of thankfulness I feel to get to watch human nature come back away from the screens and start talking to each other yeah. and have relationship and work together for a common goal goal. It's um, it brings me to tears. It really does on, on a, on a more regular basis that I want to admit to. <laughs> uh, that's really amazing. And I'm so glad that, you know, one of 
one of the things we really try to do at Moms for Liberty is that it very much has to be about your community, right? We know that's what parents care about. They care about where they're raising their kids. They want to build relationships and have, have their, and they want their children to have positive lives where we're all united together, not divided. And um, it just makes me so proud that you are such an amazing leader and you've done such a wonderful job in Union County. So I just want to close out, Brittany, can you give advice if, if there are new people that have started chapters in Moms for Liberty or someone's thinking about joining a chapter or starting one, what advice do you have to give them moving forward? Um, First and foremost, grace to themselves. Um, None of us have ever done this before. We are, we are truly parents that are not professional politicians. And um, I've, I've never desired to, to, to lie with pigs and get dirty. You know, I would have rather not done that. Um, But we're having to go into the muck and, it's it's hard and you feel and then as you build uh, people in your group, you feel a lot of pressure to do everything right because people are depending on you. They're looking to you. Um, and so just give yourself grace. And then also honesty. I tell at my chapter meetings, I start off every single meeting because there's always new people that and I say, I'm just a mom that was on the couch seven months ago. And, you know, I keep adding the months as time goes by and 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 I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I say that frequently. I have zero idea what I'm doing, but I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to grow and I'm willing to step up and show up. So, you know, let's all learn together. Let's all grow together. Um, but that's probably been my hardest thing is to give myself grace. Um, because when people are looking at you, you want to deliver and, and you're going to make mistakes. And, um, just How about one more question on that? Because yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I think we're all learning together, shoulder to shoulder, yes. right? We all have children. We're all kind of navigating through this together. Tina and I have had yes. some experience on school board that we try to bring um, as, a, as a benefit to everyone, but we all are still moms and it's very personal for all of us. Um, right. One of the things that I know that has been difficult is the fact that the mainstream media and, and sometimes local media in general are, are just gunning for moms, right? We saw mm-hmm. that NSBA letter to the DOJ. I think that that was meant to try to put us in a place where we were going to have to be, you know, defensive about our actions. And then we get hit, don't we, every single day mm-hmm. with some really nasty comments. So just kind of getting through that noise and breaking free of it. Any advice for moms with that? <laughs> well, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> Um, so expect that, expect that you're going to have days when it's going to hurt. You're going to have days when it's frustrating. You're going to have days when you just want to like rock in the corner and cry because it feels so big. Um, but then you're going to have days where you're going to be like, you know what? Water off a duck's back. Um, the thing that I've, that the, the place where I've, and you will, you will improve. So if at first you don't get the water off the duck's back, just know that you will toughen and you will grow in that way as well. Um, so again, grace, um, it, it, it gets better and better and better as far as handling that. But what I always have to go back to, and I was telling actually a member last night cause she was struggling with this. And, and I said at the, at the end, I was talking about this podcast actually. And I said, do not let anything steal your joy. Yeah. Um, you, at the end of the day, and I had a really doozy of a day yesterday, I'm not going to lie. And at the end of the day, I have to go back to the primary things. And for me, that's God, which I have to tell you, I, it has been a huge part. And I, I always offer gratefulness 
to that to him. But God and the fact that I am committed in, in seeking what's right and doing what's right. Number two is my family and my children. And then number three is my country. And I am not, I am thankful for all of those things. And I am going to make sure I guard the joy of all of those things. I love that. So at the end of the day, I'm not going to let anyone take away my joy. Um, I have moments where it does a hundred percent, but I always try to go back and reset myself. Um, some days are better than others. Oh, I think that's beautiful. And, and I, and, and I actually, um, I'm going to cover that, uh, this week being a joyful warrior. We'll talk more about, we'll share, I'll share with everyone during uh, the question period, um, what it means to be a joyful warrior and and keeping the joy alive. Um, especially during this Christmas season and holiday season, I think it's just such an important reminder. You know, the work does not stop. It is still difficult. We still are working to accomplish things in our communities. Um, but we need to also, uh, remember to celebrate together and to find the joy in our lives every day. So 100%. thank you so much for joining us, Brittany. You are um, a wonderful example of leadership in Moms for Liberty. We're incredibly thankful to have you um, as a part of our organization and as a friend. And um, who knew we were going to make so many new friends in our 40s, right? I know. It's a What a blessing. Yeah. I'm like, where were you guys all through my high school I and college? <laughs> Sometimes it takes a minute, but I'm thankful. Yes, 100%. Well, I'm thankful for y'all and I'm thankful um, that y'all have provided an opportunity for me to feel like I can do something. So, Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. And you're killing it. And I know there are many moms like you. I mean, we have hundreds of moms across the country that are feeling empowered now and are making and, and changing their community for the better. So um, thank you for sharing everything, your story with us today. I hope you'll come back on in the future and tell us what's going on in Union County. And um, thanks again. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I to just you. have to thank you also for your courage. And I would want to say that um, we have so many chapter chairs who have never been part of anything like this before. Some of them have never spoken to a school board member before, and they are in the spotlight where the nation is expecting them to be some kind of political savant. And all they are, are, you know, they are all very intelligent, educated people who just want the best for their children. And so the fact that we're doing this together um, just shows the importance of the work. And I just so, appre- I just so appreciate everybody for uh, bravery, courage, and being that joyful warrior. Um, and so if I, I always say this at the end of every podcast, but if you're listening to this and you feel like it's time to get off your comfy couch and <laughs> get out and uh, advocate for your children, Find the chapter in your area. And if you don't have one, start one. Just go to momsforliberty.org and find your chapter. Thank and you. With that, with that, we will close out chat with Pat and Brittany today. I hope everyone has a w- lovely day and tune in next time for uh, more great information from Pat. Thank you. Thanks. As always, we want to thank Pat Blackburn for her effort supporting joyful warriors around the country. And that's going to do it for this week's Joyful Warrior podcast. Join us next time. United we stand. Our children. Our choice. Our future.